Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hello, everybody. Welcome, Jeremy. How are you doing today? Good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, struggling with a lot of things uh, in Azure lately, but I think that's just because it's so many pieces that I'm not used to, <laughs> like networking bits. Ugh, but new new learning curves. <laughs> exactly. And uh, so the boss doesn't like it when anyone uses the C word, but I'm going to do it here. The containers might be solving my issue because then I don't have to <laughs> configure 14 pieces. <laughs> but I'm not so sure he's <laughs> we're going to write that off yet. But so uh, are you in app service at the minute then with most most of your staff? Well, yes, we we have an app, our bot runs in multiple app services with all the Azure goodness layered all over it and top of it, but there's a lot of links between front door and an app service and app insights and Azure monitor and bot registration and teams application. So, and if you don't put the right number in the right place, things don't work, <laughs> which is a little bit frustrating, but yeah, I hear you. I feel the pain. There's a lot of moving parts. Yes, and uh, so how was your week? I know you had some excitement earlier in the week that we'll get to later, but how was the rest of your week? Um, it's been good. I've been juggling a bunch of stuff at work. We're trying to focus on a few key areas to try and overcome. So I'm hoping to have some good news around a few things I'm being beat up at the moment by the community on. Um, <laughs> I've got to go present on March 9th, so all pray for me when I go up to present to Rajesh. Um, who's our EVP on a few bits and pieces. But I'm hoping that we can make a really big difference and really change some of the, the the kind of the gripes that some of our customers have with us right now around M365 development in general, actually. so People have gripes? That's uh, surprising. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. There's a few new PMs that have started and, wow, you have to get thick skin pretty quick, right? I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's great that we get feedback, but sometimes the way we get it, it's like you would never say that to someone. In, by yeah. in person, by face. <laughs> um, and so you just kind of have to just wear it as it's actually good feedback. You have to get over the pathetic way it's delivered and just look for the goodness in it. PM 101 by Jeremy Thay. There you go. Be thick-skinned. We'll catch up on some news. Uh, the first one I found, uh, kind of related to last week's show, the Azure Functions Runtime 3.0 is now generally available. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, the... Um, Basically, this means that it will now run .NET Core 3.1, which is the LTS version, which you're really going to want that, and also Node 12 are the two big things of what they've done with the runtime. So if you're running Azure Functions and you want to rev up to the latest LTS, this is your opportunity to do that now. So there's there's no notice in here about um, any deprecations or anything yet, but uh, at least you can get started moving along. Yeah, they actually explicitly call out in the update that they're not going to deprecate one or two at this time and the customers running one and two will continue to receive the you know security ups and patches so I guess they realize it might take a while for people to move over which is pretty cool they've done it that way yeah yeah I think uh, there's especially well so the function functions are, are basically a app service or web app and, and right. for the .NET core 3 in the ASP.NET world has got it's not a copy paste or just you know it's not just flip a switch and, and reload stuff a lot there's some other core infrastructural pieces that, that have to be updated so it's good that you're given time to, to do that so nice to see that moving along and they got some cool language support updates there across the board there which just looking at their documentation so it's kind of cool that you can 
keep up with it that way. I haven't actually touched three. I should go back and have a look at that. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. And if you hadn't heard, or if it functions a preview with Josh Carlyle and I sat down last week's or last show, so uh, certainly uh, want to grab that. So the next news item is uh, Microsoft Fluid Framework. Have you had a chance yet to kick the tires on this? I'm guessing you're probably a little bit busy, huh? Uh, well, in actual fact, I've been meeting with some of these teams because obviously they're going to have an API at some point. It's going to have to be on the graph, so we're just trying to work out how that will work. There was like a private preview of Fluid, and now this is essentially that all enterprise customers in M365 have ability to try this preview out. And the way they're kind of doing the preview, the best way to check it out is there's a get started link, which we'll have in the blog, which it has a video at the top. And the video just shows you how you can use their launchpad document canvas to go create a new fluid document. Um, and, you know, you can create normal stuff like you would in Word, but you can do things like at mentions directly in the document or start to look at planner tasks. And then you can build tables that kind of can be injected in almost as like action item lists and they can be co-authored in real time. So it is an interesting concept of this notion of a fluid document that has m multiple parts to it that can be co-authored. And I mean, the demos they showed in the keynote was the ability to kind of take a component of the doc and share it in an Outlook email or share it in a Teams conversation and, you know, edit that composite document in the Teams conversation and have it automatically be updating in the doc. So there's um, some really cool scenarios for it around, like if I remember being a consultant and working on like RFPs and I'm, you know, dragging things all over the place to get people to kind of contribute to it. This is kind of a nice way of doing it where you could just start a conversation with, hey, I need you to fill out this section. I've had a go. Can you just have to take a look here? And they can just like edit in line in Teams and it'll go and update it in the fluid document itself. But um, it's early days. I think it's really cool tech, and I think they're just interested to see what people want to do with it. I think for me, any kind of RFP where there's lots and lots of people working on it, where it's quite a componentized doc, and like legal documents, I think are going to be really good use cases for this. I would agree. And the, uh, the, the key distinction that I would make is that, so for example, I can do multi-user authoring in Word, Excel, etc., this is not hosted in Word or Excel, right? At the moment, obviously, as you said, it's hosted in their Canvas, but trying to think through something a little bit lighter weight than launching the Office application or, or running the Office in the browser, maybe I want to use something different, right? And that, that's kind of where the, the potential, I think, lies in this. And so, yeah, um, I've actually kicked the tires quite a bit at a dev kitchen on this stuff. So it, it's pretty interesting and has some great potential. So it's nice to see moving along. So encourage folks to certainly get out there and, and have at it. Um, the next item is really kind of not, not an in-depth one, but adaptive cards. I've beat this drum quite a lot, but now the, uh, the Microsoft Teams application will now support adaptive cards 1.2. So that, the headline is they're they are GA in Microsoft Teams, which is kind of weird. That, it, But basically, the support for the 1.2 schema is available in Microsoft Teams. And the big thing that you get there is that the, it supports all the markdown styles for rich text inside the card. They call them inline text buttons, but basically, it just means that you can put the action buttons uh, instead of at the bottom of the card. You can put them wherever you need them. So a couple little tweaks that I've been looking for, so can't wait to roll this out to our application. So great stuff moving forward on uh, on adaptive cards. Yeah, there's some cool stuff there. I mean, the adaptive card team sits in the neighborhood beside me. They're like a sister team. We share the same GPM. 
Um, so David Clow, who does a lot of work around that, um, you know, that's been awesome to see what they're doing there. And obviously with teams, there's a bunch of scenarios that I'm assuming you take advantage of in the bot that you build, right? Do you, are you rendering adaptive cards in that way? Yes. Well, so we've been doing it for quite a while. So some of those new features we aren't using at the moment. But yes, we rather than use bot framework specific cards, we've we've gone to adaptive cards so that as wherever as as our customers go to different areas and we go with them, we can don't we can render. So the goal, of course, is I don't have to create rendering for all the different applications that support these. It's ju- it just works, right? Yeah. And so that that's pretty cool. And and I'm not sure if we talked about it before, but they have a new templating that's in in preview. They have adaptive cards templating, which I rolled out. So the scenario there is I I, I deployed a, a web part that has the card template, and then just makes a call to get a data packet from some backend service. And right now it's just you know my build statuses, but but you can see the idea there that I can have a dynamic rendering of the of the card without having to put a web service there. I can just read a, a, a JSON file from a blob or something like that. So it's pretty pretty slick stuff. Again, it's not a rich fancy UI like uh, like some of the other things we'll talk about today, but it certainly is is great for those of us who are trying to reach out across the Microsoft Three Sixty Five. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, we did a community call this week. Um, this was a great call. I loved it. It was great. I, you're all excited because it had auth in it, Paul. Yeah. You're easily pleased. Um, and so I would highly recommend going to watch it for twofold. First of all was Daryl talked about um, we had been working on a graph authentication library. And the way I would describe it is we were trying to wrap up the complexity of MSAIL, the Microsoft Authentication Library, because obviously the MS, the identity team have to build a, an authentication library that caters for every scenario that a customer could possibly have with um, authenticating a user. And so we wrapped up and made it a lot simpler to for like the we always throw the 80% of the cases out there where you don't need to have such complicated configurations. And so we kind of made it a lot easier to go create, you know, an app only application permission call or a, a delegated permission call. And then as we've been working more and more, or to be honest, it's really Daryl, has been working more and more with the Azure SDK teams and what they're doing, generating, auto-generating their SDKs using auto-rest, calling the open API. Um, We realized that there's actually an Azure authentication library that does a very similar thing to what we were doing. And so um, based on, you know, discussions that have been happening in those meetings, We've decided to align so that if you're using Azure SDKs or you're using the Graph SDK, you'll be using the same single authentication library that they've built over there, which rather than us having a Graph version of that and them having their own, is they just use one. And so Daryl in the community call walked through that in a lot of detail and explained the design decisions there and the pros and cons. And we got a fair bit of feedback from people there, which was great. And then he also talked about um, the discussion that, you know, got a little bit heated for sure in the community around PNP.js, which is a JavaScript SDK that sits on top of, originally it sat just on top of the SharePoint REST APIs, um, but then the community started to hand crank out Microsoft Graph API supporting that PNP.js library. And the big pro to that was that, it used a, a fluent kind of type UI to call into the the, um, the service, and 
a lot of the folk were, you know, hey, how comes the graph JavaScript SDK doesn't have a fluent interface to it? And so Daryl kind of proposed, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, obviously the big difference between PMPJS and ours is that we auto-generate across the entire surface layer of graph, um, whereas PPNJS is kind of as the community goes, oh, I need this API to be wrapped, they go build it. And, you know, obviously future-proofing and consistency-wise, you know, auto-genning the whole lot is much safer and is what we'd recommend to our customers. So we kind of presented what we were going to be doing around the Fluent UI. So if you are interested in that, either of those two things, I'd highly recommend checking out the download of that community call recording because Daryl, as usual, goes into a lot of depth. And quite honestly, what he presented was exactly what we presented internally to all of our engineers and PMs. So um, we definitely are being very transparent with how we're making those decisions and we won't be bringing our current auth library out of preview. We will basically be sunsetting that and just snapping to the Azure auth library instead. Yeah. So this, the, the, as you said, this excites me just because it's auth. But I, I would parse your statement a little bit. There is not a, the auth library is still MSAL, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we're still still calling MSAL. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It, it's still wrapping yeah. MSAL. Yeah, it's just uh, they, in some cases, took a different approach to it. Yeah, ultimately, it's it's all MSAL under the covers, whichever way you use it. But um, the concept is, is we're trying to shrink, wrap it, and abstract away some of the complexities of MSAL because MSAL needs to cover for all sorts of oddness. The, or, or do MSAL the way that the graph service client needs it, is how I would yeah. how I would describe it. And and Azure has that Azure library that you mentioned is the same thing. They've they've abstracted MSAL the way they need it with their different credential objects. So yeah, it's great to see that coming through. So uh, yeah, if you're making a call to any Microsoft service that needs a token or even, even a, a custom API that you're doing and I need a token for a certain resource, it's all the same code. So having a single way to create a set of credentials and pass that to some library to give me a token is a win for developers. So yeah, it's great stuff. I look forward to that that coming out. Ship it, ship it, ship it, as I told Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he wants to write it first before he ships it, but you know, details. <laughs> well, the cool thing is we had um, the Kenyan team in town for two weeks. They will now be taking over the SDK work for us in Graph. We already have Peter in Redmond who's been working on the PowerShell SDK um, and now we're ramping up a few more of those devs in Kenya that are have been working on things like Graph Explorer and the some internal tools we've been using to kind of auto triage Stack Overflow questions and stuff. They'll now be working on the SDK and uh, a new Python SDK that we're doing, which is we've seen a lot of new activity uh, on the graph around Python. So we're finally putting together a Python SDK as well, which is pretty cool. All right. So the, the last uh, Microsoft, well, a couple of Microsoft newsy things left here. One is uh, we'll put a link in here to another article in a series from Mark Rusinovich, who is the chief technology officer in Microsoft Azure. Yeah, the last post we put in was around the Azure Active Directory reliability stuff that he talked about. Now, this is just another in his series, and he's discussing the, the safe deployment practices. So again, it's just good stuff to have uh, or information to know about how Microsoft is uh, is running that, that practice for in uh, Microsoft Azure. So good information there. The next item is uh, of interest to many people in the uh, Microsoft Microsoft 365 space. Is the the I put a link here. Jeff Teeper is now the CVP over Microsoft Teams, which will unify 
the reporting of Teams and all, a bunch of the other share, SharePoint stream, OneDrive, et cetera. So uh, lots of excitement in Twitter. I put a link to Jeff's tweet about this, about how uh, he's he's doing that. That one's going to be an interesting one. And I think it took every, quite a few people by surprise internally. I love Jeff. I think the way he runs his team and the way he keeps them bringing together and having you know, the cadence he has internally of like everyone does a show and tell of what they've been working on, try and keep everyone in the loop. They have this, they, they take over one of our big convention centers here to do it. Um, Jeff, just the passion that his team has is really cool. And the fact that they're bringing teams into that fold with ship on a OneDrive, I think is going to make a tremendous difference to kind of the overall strategy of all three products, I guess, if you treat them all individually. I think Teams has obviously been on this huge race to get out there and I my prediction would be that Jeff will slow them down a bit and get them really focused on shipping you know like quality and really you know thinking about the customer experience and I think ultimately working better with other product groups to make sure that we all work in the same direction without as many get out of jail free cards where they could just shoot for the stars without bringing everyone else along with them. That that last bit is what's exciting to me is that yeah. they, you know so the great example is that uh, for my SPFX web parts could run inside of a team and there were some rough edges there and and it launched with uh, support for ta- teams tab only but not personal tab and it took a couple revisions to get it done and I'm sure it's because the teams team they released a bunch of new stuff around communications and stuff so having the common answer you know reporting to a little bit lower closer to the teams being jeff instead of all the way up through sacha <laughs> is going to certainly make things uh, everyone pulling in the same direction yeah. i think it'll take a while he probably i'm guessing he probably won't do anything major reorg wise for a bit and just let it settle and get a good understanding of it and then i'm sure there'll be some changes where you know they'll probably bring together teams that make sense to bring together and um, you know, try and have like set OKRs, objective key results is the way we're kind of running Microsoft at the minute. Um, having shared OKRs across the teams, I think will be really good that everyone will be marching to the same to the same drum. Yeah, uh, take a look at the files experience in SharePoint, right? OneDrive team and the SharePoint team are we're both support to Jeff, and that experience has gotten great. So I look forward to the, that. That's the kind of thing I think is going to be great is that where Teams interfaces with other applications, that's going to get smoother and better. So I'm looking excited about that. So um, and there's a little bit of community news here. So um, this first one, I, I figured you, you'd love to see this. Uh, Masiak Horbez, and I'm sure I, I screwed up his name, had a post using Intune plus PowerShell plus Microsoft Graph. This is uh, not so developer-y, I don't think, when you talk about PowerShell and, and uh, Intune. But uh, have you kicked, looked around at what he's doing here using the graph to find information and, and go forward? I was distracted by the animated gif at the beginning of his blog post. I don't know who that person is. Who is that? I, I don't know. I, and I don't know where I found it, but... Um, the, the, on the animated gif, I'm not gonna, again, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name. There's an animated gif at the beginning, and like an older, mid-40s guy with giant glasses and a very bad haircut 
doing a mind blown expression, but it's just epic. And I'm sure it must be someone famous. Uh, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, it's very, very, yes, it's great. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a ton of stuff he's doing with Intune here in terms of device management. And he's like, you know, Daryl will be very excited that he is using the PowerShell SDK from the PowerShell gallery that we launched for the Microsoft Graph APIs. Um, and he's using all the Intune stuff, which is awesome. So he's iterating through... I think in this case, he's like 197 machines and forcing them to see what ring of windows they're on and, and force an update for all of those managed devices, which is super cool that you can do that kind of stuff in, in June, um, all through PowerShell. So that, I mean, I'm sure IT admins like, yeah, we've known about this for years, but as a dev, it's kind of like, you can do that. That's crazy. Well, to me, the value, right, yes. I, and in the past, I have used PowerShell to query Active Directory on-prem to find devices or or, or, or scan the network. But the, this bit about being able to query the devices in Microsoft Graph and find information about them and that you know to, to find the things that need work, to me, that that's that's the power, right, of, of Microsoft Graph. The graphiness of the fact that you can, like, do all that around a particular user ID and then, you know, maybe go get their product profile and see where their office are located or what the department is to make decisions on, you know, whether they get this update ring or that update ring. Like, in my mind, that's like the true graphiness of what we're doing as opposed to it just being a bunch of APIs chucked on an endpoint. Yeah. Or maybe even look at the presence indicator and don't reboot it if they're in a call. <laughs> Crazy things like that, right? Yeah, it's so true. There you go. That's a good yeah. scenario. I might even steal that and use that in a demo. Uh, good. Go for it. The last community news is Niels Laut, which again, why do I always get the names with the, the fun, I'm, I'm funky names? I'm letting you do the names this week. Uh, that, was, yeah. that sounds right. I mean, You let me do it this week. You do let me do it all the time, but that's all right. <laughs> it looks very European. Yes, yes. Um, so Niels, N-I-E-L. He's from the Netherlands. There you go, okay. his Twitter. There you go. All right, so, um, yeah. He, he has taken, this is a blog post. There's nothing that you can actually do with this except look at it and admire it but he's taken the fluent design tips that that are the fluent design principles and applying them to the power toys have you seen the windows 10 power toys that are i come need out? to get them because i just got a really nice dell 34 inch wide screen monitor and um snapping left and right is not enough my eyes aren't widescreen enough i need to like change my eyes to like f1.2 to be able to see it all in one <laughs> field of vision yeah so so anyways he's he's applying some modern principles design principles plus some suggestions for other tools i don't think the uh some of them have been are his some of them are actually in progress but but he just put together a wpf application that runs a demo i got excited when i first saw it. i was like oh i'm gonna download this but it turns out what i was downloading was just his little demo app but yeah it's just a prototype yeah but it, it's it, it great it does show the power of of what's what's going on here and some great ideas and so i would love for uh folks to uh you know uh, ampl if you find this stuff helpful, amplify it. Get let the power apps or the power toys team. What's it called? Not power apps. Power toys. Power toys team. Uh, understand. You know, know about what's going on because obviously they're doing work uh, based on what the community wants or what the users want. Just like everybody else. So great stuff there. Yeah, and they've done a fair amount of releases on the GitHub page. I think the big thing that I want to use it for is fancy zones because it allows you to create zones in your windows. But I have noticed, and maybe I could do a whole show on this on. Going from docking with a 34-inch widescreen monitor back to the crappy laptop screen, my windows go garbage. And so um, I did need to think about how I want to do this. But I do love the widescreen. It's been it's better than dual screen, in my opinion. 
multi-screen. I, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I have the Dell 34 inch as well, and I would recommend that you stop using the Dell monitor utility thing unless you want to do picture in a picture because the, some of the keystrokes that end up creating multiple zones in that, which kind of conflicts with the power with the fancy zones. So um, didn't even yeah. install that. It'd be like installing iTunes on a Windows. You just don't do it. Well, well I put I, so sometimes I want to have the TV feed of the Blackhawk games in a corner while while I'm writing some code. <laughs> so some there there is a use case for doing picture in a picture on the monitor. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's awesome. just me yeah so okay and then so let's get around finally to the uh the big news of of the cool week stuff. was the 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 dev the, the microsoft 365 developer day yes um so, so i it was cool i had mike amelan who um he's over in marketing uh, which is the old team i was in when it was cj was basically mike amelan he because the team is m365 now it's not office 365 obviously that incorporates windows development as well as kind of office 365 development and ems uh, enterprise mobility and security and so uh, obviously we announced at some event, I don't think it was even Ignite, it was another event, around the Surface Duo and the Surface Neo devices, uh, which are basically foldable devices. Obviously, it's the new big cool thing that everyone's having a crack at. Crack being the appropriate word in some cases for some of their competitors. <laughs> boom, boom. Um, and so Mike was putting together like a whole developer day and uh, with a bunch of dedicated um, Windows developer marketing folks and um, they asked if I'd do a graph one which was like wow, absolutely if it means I can get a hold of a device go crazy um, unfortunately it didn't mean I got a device these things are still very much very very like top secret although I know there was a blog post of someone using it on a subway in Vancouver or something not probably the best place to be playing with a new device although I'm impressed that someone worked out what it was and then started recording the person while they were sitting on the tube like I'm not sure I'd be that happy if I saw someone recording me using my phone. We, we built it all in the emulator. We didn't actually use the full emulator that comes with Visual Studio. There was um, the Edge team have built like um, a hosted emulator for the browser, which is how I demoed it in my session. And uh, I was really surprised how easy it was to take just a standard web application and essentially use media elements, if anyone out there is an HTML kind of whiz web developer and just dictate what goes in that second screen and then there's all these different commands you can use to have the screens interact and understand if it's in single screen left or right or if it's in dual screen and then obviously there's two orientations you're either holding it like a book or you're turning it 90 degrees and like it's stacked like a nintendo portable gaming device type thing we used the tasks api and the demo we came up with was actually based on a, a real scenario we share shopping at home and when i go she'll send me a huge list of things in text messages and me being add was like no no, no you have to go into the to-do app <laughs> and they have to be added as individual tasks in to-do so that as i'm walking around i can check them off and yeah, how, how how well was that message received? I wonder. Um, that's, that's a I remember on air. 
<laughs> the first thing. And so what I ended up doing was obviously copying her message and then breaking it out in separate tests. But um, what we did was we decided, well, that was that's cool. But what if you could click on the items um, that were in that list and then it did a lookup and then suggested brands for those particular products and showed like nutritional values or you know deals that are going on but then also that you can actually see on the second screen whereabouts in the store it was and so we we did that and uh, it worked out really well it was a react app and it wasn't i didn't actually have time to build it i just got the luck to show it off but um the pax team so nicola michulev that drives the microsoft graph toolkit and shane weaver were the ones that actually built the and shane did the majority of the work but what was really cool was we realized uh, we, we intended to always use the Microsoft Graph Toolkit because obviously we've had a task list as part of that for a while. And so, um, you know, he had the app up and running in the first like few hours because he just had, you know, signing control and used some CSS to put that in the top right of the first left-hand screen. And, you know, then he added the task list and then he basically used a template to render it in the way we wanted to render on the screen. And he hadn't written any graph code at that point. Like it was all done for him. And so it was really compelling to see how quickly you could get a prototype running up, you know, when, and then obviously he's got the CSS sprinkly unicorn magic to make it look good. But it wasn't that much code. But, you know, from a demo perspective, there's been a bunch of people reaching out going, wow, we, this is really good. We should kind of take this open source project further. So we did open source it. So it's available as Contoso Foods in the Microsoft Graph org. Um, and we actually left the client ID in there. And so if you, you can pull it down, yeah, npm install and then just do an npm run, I think run actually. And it will just basically run up in your browser in the emulator and you're good to go. Yeah, I didn't know there was a, a browser-based emulator. I like that. So yeah, I think uh, I've been following along from a distance uh, and and I love the fact that the the you mentioned cracked devices, but I noticed that the device screenshots that we see here in the video, it's two different screens, and the SDK right. knows that there's two screens, and so being able to inspect the, the host, I guess, and say, hey, am I left, right, center, whatever, that that's pretty that's pretty exciting. I, I look forward yeah, to doing that. It's essentially yeah. it's a hinge, is the way. To, oh yeah, yeah, way okay, to think yeah, about okay. it. Um, and so I did actually get to see one because when I was recording my session with my poor measly emulator. Um, they were all preparing for the keynote, which happened live on the Tuesday, which Kevin Gallo, who we've had on the show as well, and I encourage you listening to that episode if you haven't listened to it before. Um, they were getting all the stuff ready for Kevin, and um, I got to use it, and oh, I am pretty sure it's going to be on my Christmas list. It's, <laughs> yeah, uh, nice. it, is, it is really nice. Like I am super impressed with uh, you know what they've done with it, and you know there is always this risk. It's V1. Um, for V1 hardware. Yeah. But um, from what I saw and the fact we've still got quite a while to go yet, um, I think we're going to be in good shape with it. It is one of those devices that when you see it, it's kind of got that iPhone-ness aspect of it, like, wow, that is a really, really nice device. A little bit, I mean, the Surface laptops have the same kind of thing now, in my opinion. And obviously, I've got rose-colored glasses on working at Microsoft. But um, this is definitely going to be something that people spot when they walk into a mobile store and go, wow, what's that? 
That's cool. Okay, yeah, so we'll put a link um, to uh, the the page for the virtual event. There's, I don't know, eight or ten different videos that you can look at. I would encourage you to scroll down to the very bottom and click on Dual Screen Devices Plus Microsoft Graph. I would too. To, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're actually the, on uh, YouTube now as well. So you, if you go to the... Um, Microsoft 365 YouTube channel, which was the Office Dev channel that got rebranded. And um, we'll put it in the show notes too. But um, there's a whole playlist there. Like there's way, way more famous people like James Montemagno is in there um, doing kind of like the cross-platform dual screen experience with Xamarin, for instance. So that Xamarin team have done a ton of work as well. So um, I, um, I'd highly encourage you to take a look. I think, you know, this is definitely... A, a future thing that I think is going to become not just a gimmick. I think we're going to see a lot of business users using this. I think this is the next wave through of things. And um, I'm excited to see what you as developers do with that, especially kind of around the graph as well. Yeah. And to beat home the developer, Microsoft 365 developer aspect, right? The, the What we expect, our, our, the host for our code is definitely changing uh, and and even your example of it's a browser html code but the host is going to have multiple viewports for example that you can interact just being aware of all that kind of stuff is really kind of really makes you think of a whole different uh whole different way of of, of writing your code i would think so very exciting times yeah and then one other thing that came up i i heard it and then um there's been a few other people have been hearing this so i just wanted to talk about it a bit which was and obviously this is auth so it gets you excited paul is <laughs> the uh, <laughs> he just put his thumbs up on the webcam um is that um cam dwyer was in uh, sydney for the microsoft ignite tour if you're in a region outside of the States, actually, I think it's going to be in Chicago as well, but globally, we're doing these various different Ignite tours. And so Cameron Dyer and Elaine Van Bergen, actually, who's a good friend for a long, long time ago, presented on M365 development of that event. And they were doing some demos around Microsoft Graph Toolkit. And one of the big things that came up was like, well, hey, hang on. Um, you know, the client ID is just there, sitting there in HTML. Like, is that not a concern? And, and so, you know, Cam like said, this is how I answered it. Was that correct? And I was like, yeah, that, I mean, that's exactly the thing. And so what would be your answer to that? Like, is there a concern with having the client ID in JavaScript like that? Like, what could someone, is there a risk of anything going on in that scenario? There's two, from a code security perspective, that would bother me, right? Um, but, you know, to publish it to a, a repo necessarily or a public like that. But at runtime, at the end of the day, that applica- that client ID represents an application registration. And that is registered in a tenant and optionally is exposed as a template for other tenants, right? So the short answer is if, if it's a single tenant app and you're not in that tenant, when you prompt to log in, you'll get an error that says that this app is not registered in your tenant. So you won't be able to do much. Um, and depends on how the, u- the developer handles that error. You may still see a UI, but for example, if, if that tenant is registered in the Microsoft directory and Paul tries to get a tenant for you know the Adam 365 tenant, it, I won't be able to get a token that works at yeah, the end of the yeah. day, right? Yeah. And so that that's really less of an issue. Now that that of course assumes the, the all bets are off if you have a client secret. In code, right? So don't do that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but I mean, in general, if um, I would not want my client IDs in a source code repo, I get that they're going to be in the browser, but at least there's a little, little higher level of of obscurity there because who who really is 
spelunking around in the web page source. Right? Developers are, but end users aren't, right? So I think the other thing to add there is, like, for instance, uh, people do go digging into Graph Explorer, for instance, and we have it there. And the, the big thing for us that we say is that, well, you can go take that application ID, but uh, the redirect URI that's set up when you go through the auth flow is going to redirect the request back to the Microsoft Graph web URL. And so you can't just hijack the application ID and use it on your own web application URL because the sign-in flow won't work. It won't redirect back to your app. It'll redirect back to another another person's app. Yes, and that, that's one of the protections that's built into the the web login flow. That that that's that, that that's on purpose, right? Yeah. So uh, again, this is because assuming that app ID is registered as a a public client is basically the the phrase that you see in the Azure portal. It's a public client, which means that they know that people are going to see this ID and how we handle it is is different. So. Hey, the, but the Microsoft uh, or the Graph Explorer stuff, um, I was just in there this morning and I couldn't figure out how the new experience to change the permission requests. So I think uh, I might have to do some digging there or maybe that's uh, a PR. So, yeah, that's good feedback. So when you go to Graph Explorer and you click on the preview, um, we're getting about, which is really encouraging, I think we're up to about 30% of all our traffic now is just instantly on preview. Shortly, we will be making all traffic go to that experience. <laughs> but it's been good to see um, see all that coming through. When you run, like say you go and then run get messages, or, or is my mail is a sample on the left-hand side, and you run that, if you get a 401, 403 error because of the permissions, um, what you should see when you click on the permissions tab is a list of all the possible permissions you need. Now, I know my mail... It's, um, it's not responding at the moment correctly. But if you go my profile and click on the permissions tab, for instance, you'll see that there there's 20 different permissions that you can request consent to that uh, will show you what you can do, uh, what, what things you need to consent to be able to call slash me. And um, if you're signed into Graph Explorer on the left-hand side in the authentication panel there, um, there's a button that actually allows you to click consent on them too. So I remember clicking on this. I was trying to get groups, and so group.read isn't uh, in a brand new demo tenant. Isn't default, you know, per, it's or not consented. And, so, right. and I, yeah. yeah, but I didn't see it in this permissions. I, I think I got some kind of error. I have to go back and look now because I I clicked that permissions tab, but I didn't see group.read in there at all. So, and I wasn't sure what that permissions is. That things that are is it showing me twenty that are already consented or twenty that need consent. Or both. Well, it, it'll say that they're consented if if they have already been consented in the past. So the the status will say consented, or there will be a big button that says consent. So here's another feedback: if I do slash me and it tells and I see permissions, do I I need to have twenty different permissions in order to read information about myself? I would think user dot read is enough. Why do I, just uh, yeah. user dot read would be enough? Yeah, but so then why are the twenty of them listed in the page? I guess that that's the feedback I'm giving you. Because it's just all the different ways that you can get whack me. Yeah. Okay, well, I wanna, yeah. uh, I'll let it drop before you start whacking me instead of whacking. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I will just virtually kick you through teams. No, I mean, it, it is kind of fair. Like, why do we have all these different permission scopes to get to the one thing? Um, and, you know, some of them are like dot, dot all and uh, the read versus read write and read dot all and read write all. And then there's like 
directory reader and directory writer, which are you know slightly different SKUs. You're going to get a little bit more information. And so the description strings are actually meant to help you to ident- understand the differences in the consent. We actually have a PM working at the moment to fix a lot of those permission strings to make them even clearer on uh, what's going on there. And so, um, yeah, watch this space. Yeah. And the key difference here is any of these 20 will let you read the my information. Not all of them, but any Correct. of them. Yeah. But if you went to like items trending around me, for instance, is like sites.read, sites.readwrite, sites.readall, and sites.readwrite.all. Any one of those four. Right. And so the dot .alls are essentially if you're doing application permissions, whereas like um, without the dot .all is the delegate permissions. Is the way you kind of is a, the safest way to read those permission string read, reading outs. That's cool. All right. So now that I know how to find the consent button, I will go back and try it again. But yeah, I love the I love the new look and feel. Can't wait for this to to ship out as well. So and and hitting the the auth token. And, and we are still waiting. Yeah, we are still waiting for some metadata on for some of these permissions as well. Uh, these eight operations, sorry, like it, you know, if you go look in the groups one, I think four or five of those don't return any permissions. It just says zero, and that's because we don't have all the permissions inside of the um, inside of our metadata inside of OpenAPI right now. And so we're working with all the different workflows on Graph, which you know, there's like forty of those things um, to get them to update their data, so that you know that this is one place it will be used, but also it will mean like in Power Apps or Flow. If you're saying, I want to use this API, Flow would be able to go look at the metadata and go, oh, you need to request this consent for it to work, rather than kind of it just asking the user what permission string do you, or what permission scope do you need, Flow would be able to prompt you. So there's a bunch of reasons why we need to get permissions into the metadata. I like all those scenarios, so it looks good. Well, so this is great. Uh, the, um Great to catch up with a ton of news and um, can't wait to get the new multi-screen device and have kick the oh, tires on I that. Know. So looking good. I wrote rub shoulders with Kevin. I was like, come on, man. I want to, you know, Santa needs to come early for me, but I'm not sure he was playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're probably second in line, right? <laughs> He's going to get his say, own first. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good week, buddy. Yeah, thanks, mate. I appreciate it. Enjoy your weekend. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 